There's uh, copies of Psalm 51 back there by the goodies, so that way if you go get Psalm 51 and some goodies and some coffee, you're wide awake and ready to go. So those are back there. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you for a wonderful season of rain this last week, and um, especially being good Oklahomans and knowing how hot and dry the summer can be, how refreshing this is. And it's not bitter cold rain. Praise the Lord for that. Well, we ask you, Lord, that you would be with uh, Cindy Walton as she recovers from her surgery, Lord, that she would uh, bounce back speedily and pain would be modulated, and we ask you to keep her in your care. We pray, Lord, for others that we're missing, um, I think of especially right now Greg Swafford, just his chronic health issues and uh, that keep him homebound so much that you would keep him and care for him, Lord, and, um, and bless him richly. Lord, thank you for our day-to-day. Thank you for this class. Be with us as we get into Psalm 51. And give us hearts that are ready to hear and respond and draw us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are at Psalm 51. So let me go ahead and read Psalm 51. I was getting ready to pull slides up. Let me read Psalm 51. To the choir master of Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it, and you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So what are some things that you notice? Maybe there's some repeated thoughts, maybe something from a previous psalm uh, that you think of. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good call. 
I just no, I just noticed it. I, mean, I haven't been reading this thing for a while, but I just noticed that God's personal name is not used. Yahweh is never used in Psalm 51. It's a God or Adonai, Master, Lord, something like that. And so that's intriguing. And I think about repentance and I think of about um, uh, heartbrokenness. Sometimes, you know, you feel unworthy to even call the name of God, right? So it's interesting. Yes, Fred. Yeah. Okay. What else? Yes, John. Uh, personal what? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of majestic terminology like, oh, God most high or things like that. I would have actually I would have expected him to use God's personal name because he is depending on the covenant. And he's depending and, and if I know somebody personally, I would normally call them by name. So I, that's that's a striking absence. But the majestic language for God is missing, so it is a far more seems to be far more intimate in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Moose? Right? Yeah. Yeah, I was always on a first name basis with, with the commander. I called him Sir, he called me Mike. Yeah, yeah. It is. And we'll get into that towards the end. But yeah, so it becomes a corporate psalm. But the last two verses really make it specifically with that goal. But that doesn't seem to be the goal originally necessarily at the beginning. Yes. Yes. So hold that thought when we get towards the end. Good job. All right, so let's do this. Uh, I'm calling it guilt, grace, and gratitude. It's not real original, but it's catchy. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. And so uh, as I've point out last week, it looks like uh, there's a funnel going on between Psalm 49 and Psalm 51. Psalm 49 is to the peoples of all nations, and Psalm 50 gets narrower to the people of Israel, and then Psalm 51 comes to the prince, to David. So I think that's, that holds pretty, pretty, pretty solidly. And so guilt, grace, and gratitude, here's how I'm breaking it down. You could divide this psalm in 
uh, one, two, three, four, five points, because there's five whole paragraphs. Um, but I didn't want to get lost in all the weeds, and so I just broke it down into three. And guilt, grace, and gratitude really resonated with me in the psalm, as I looked at the psalm. So the guilt, verses 1 through 9, the grace, verses 10 through 12, and gratitude, verses 13 through 19. That's how I'm going to unfold everything. And where did I come up with all this? Well, everybody knows the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death, that I with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with His precious blood is fully satisfied for all my sins, and delivered me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head, yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto Him. It's one of our confessions of faith. It's one of most Presbyterians' favorite uh, catechism questions of all time. And it's just very touching, but it's the next one. Number two, what do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? And then the answer, it's guilt, grace, and gratitude is the answer. First, how great my sins and misery are, guilt. Second, how am I delivered from all my sins and misery, grace. Third, how, can, how am I to be thankful to God for such deliverance, gratitude. How am I to live and enjoy this comfort? By remembering my guilt, God's grace, and live with gratitude. I just felt like fit right well with Psalm 51. So there you go. Alright? So here we go. Verses 1 through 9. If you look at verses 1 through 9, especially starting with the inscription at the top, so you know the steamy details from 2 Samuel 11 and 12, where... Uh, David sees Bathsheba, he takes her to himself, he misuses his regal power. Uh, so there is a sense in which he's intimidating her. Was she willingly involved? I suspect she was to some extent for whatever her motives were. But at the same time, he misused his power and all that happened there. And then he was just going to let it go. He's just going to keep on going along with it. And then something happens. What, what was it that happens yeah. So, remember that David, as you get into the psalm, David is the king who represents the kingdom, the prince who embodies the people. This is going to go to something that Yvonne was saying, asking about a minute ago. But what you see going on in Psalm 51, coming out of this, here's the king representing his people, okay, in, a, in, a, in the sense of sin, okay? But Steve, Steve brought it up. It's back in Samuel, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, the moment that turned this magnate into a meek mendicant. Woo! I worked hard at those three M's. Yes. Got to be clever, right? Made the, turned this beggar into begging for mercy. What was the event? Because it looks like he was just going to let it go. What is the event that actually turns things around? Nathan! Where's the Nathan? Is there a Nathan in the room? No, not yet. Yes, yes! Good job, Nathan. Way to go. But it's the fact he comes, he tells a story, but he's telling it, it's the Word of God. It's a parable. He's proclaiming to, to David, um, exposing his sin, but he's doing it through proclamation. And David, even with his, his, his hard-headedness and his willing to cover up his sin and hide, 
there seems to be something going on in his heart to where when he hears it, he doesn't do what we normally do when somebody confronts our sin. What do you normally do? Don't answer this question, please. What do you normally do when somebody confronts you for your sin? You d yeah, you don't go, mea culpa, my sin. You usually say, no, I have theological reasons for what I did. It's her fault. Right? We have all things we cover over and we continue to cover over. It's amazing to see the change in David as fast as it was because there are later kings who will say with the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland, off with his head, right? They will say of the prophets, off with your head. But David doesn't do that. And so there's some softness there in his heart that when he hears it, he goes, no, you're right. I really, really screwed up, Okay? And so, the question to ask before we even get further in the psalm, just from the inscription, does this have anything to say to us? Yeah. It's Tina's fault. Ooh, I like it. Yes, that'll preach. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Steve! My fragile ego, ego just shattered. <laughs> if you mess up, fess up. I'll go with Hal. There we go. That's beautiful. Yeah, it does have some. Just the inscription alone, when you go from the inscription and you know where the psalm is going, you already realize you're being instructed, right? And there's something to learn there. And and that's a prayer to have, is, Lord, may I have a tender heart enough that when I sin against you and I'm confronted, hopefully I don't have to be confronted, but if I'm confronted, I don't blow up, I don't beat people up, I actually repent. Right, that's a good place to start. Welcome to Psalm 51. Sir, only as long as you don't talk about my alliteration. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to it in a minute. But one of the uh, old Puritans somewhere once said, you know, help me to repent of my repentance. Now that was for a different reason, but I think that still fits. So as you look at verse 1 through 2, where does David begin this his remorseful psalm? Verse 1 and 2, where does he begin? Yes, he is seeking grace, right? Where does, where does he go in verses 1 and 2? What is he banking everything on? God's mercy. The fact that his steadfast love is abundant. Okay? Uh, his abundant mercy. Is stead, according to your steadfast love, according to your, your abundant mercy. Okay? And that he can actually come to God, even though he has sinned, he knows, he's banking on the fact he can come to this God, probably because of his relationship with God before, so he knows that God has this track record of an abundant mercy and steadfast love, and he can come to him, right? So that's exactly where he begins this. Um, and so what does David then do, and what does he not do? Okay, so does David in his uh, verse uh, 1 through 2, 3, 4, all that, does he shift the blame? 
Dear God, she was a hot mama. It's her fault. Dear God, don't you know Uriah was a pagan? He was trying to, I just felt like he was trying to take power from me. Does he shift the blame? He doesn't shift the blame. Does he excuse his actions? Well, Lord, I was born this way, to be, a, to be an adulterer. Does he go there? No, he doesn't excuse himself. Does he own his fault? How do you know he owns his fault? Okay, have mercy on me. I've done evil in your sight. I know my transgressions. He owns his fault. Okay, and then when you get down, as you keep on going through, you get down to, for example, to um, verse 5 and 6. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and a sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Even though I was born and conceived and sin is all around me, yet you're the one who works my heart. So, does he acknowledge, especially when you get down to verse 5 and 6, does he acknowledge kind of in his own way what Paul says in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There seems to be a universal concept in verse 5 and 6. Yes, Fred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's a tradition, a stream of tradition in the Reformed world and I've run across it enough times to know that it's a problem, but there are specific people who will not take communion. And when I address them, well, I'm just not worthy. Well, hello! You know, who is? Right? But there's this, it's almost an unwritten statement, I'm too sinful for God to handle. And so I've actually had to say that. Do you think your sin is so bad that God can't save you? Are you saying your sin is more powerful than God? Well, I would never say that. Well, then take communion. Yes. I think so. How would that look? Do you have somebody in mind? Don't tell me names. Huh? Ooh. Ooh, I wouldn't dare take communion with the rest of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Dear God, have mercy on us. Yes. Very good. So he does he uh, he doesn't he doesn't shift the blame or excuse his actions. He owns his fault. He acknowledges that yes, all we uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's putting himself in that category. That means me too. Even from before I was born, I was a sinner. And I've been acting like this ever since. You know. And so it's not really an excuse. It's owning it, I think. It's what it looks like to me. So as you look at the first nine verses, you think through the, what he's actually saying there. Is there anything here? Um, does this have anything to say to us? Does this have anything to say to us? Peter. Sure. 
So remember, his sin is fairly secret. There's a lot of cover-up, and so most of the God's people don't know he's done this. That's why Nathan doesn't go out in public and put it on YouTube or MSNBC or Fox News. He goes to him directly, and it's a very private scene. He's got everything covered up. There's only a few people that know. Joab knows, because Joab, remember, he helped Uriah die. Bathsheba knows. Uh, but he's got this fairly covered up. Hold on, hold on. Listen. Who does know, even though he's covered it up? God does, right? And so he's, he's, uh, he's acknowledging that. In all of this, ultimately I've sinned against you. You really know what happened. So he's, he's saying that. I think that's what he's saying. Does that make sense? Yes, John. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. That's what I mean by him not shifting the blame and all that stuff, actually owning it and putting himself in there. Yeah, very good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And keep first keep uh, was it first Samuel 16, right? Keep first Samuel 16 verse 14 in mind. We'll come back to it in a minute, okay? All right, but yeah, I absolutely. All right. So, uh, Ralph Davis says this, as you're thinking about verses 1 through 9, he wrote this, I love it. Another pastor friend of mine once alluded to Corey Tinboom and confessed, she has more spirituality in her little finger than I have in my whole body. That is the way we should think about David here, for he is grand in his repentance, far grander than any proud Presbyterians, parentheses, or other franchises, in a parentheses, in their rectitude. I appreciated him saying that, right? We can be very formal and, and do, do, say we've done all the right things, but there is a, often a pride that floats underneath it. And so the grandeur in his repentance, what a phrase. And I think that's verses 1 through 9 really echoes that. Anybody else in verses 1 through 9? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Susan's answering your question further. God is the one who gave the commandment, you'll not commit adultery, you'll not murder. And so ultimately the sin really is against God anyways in that sense. Yeah. Great. Anybody else? All right, verses 10 through 12. So that was guilt, verses 1 through 9. Now we move to grace in verses 10 through 12. We've actually, it's hard to divide this up completely because you already have 
grace floating around in verses 1 and 2 already because he's dependent upon God's abundant mercy and so forth. But notice that David's petition in verses 10 through 12 really begins back up in verse 7 through 9, but it's based on 10 through 12. So look at his petition as he really gets into it. He's, he's acknowledging, he's owning his sin and everything, so what does he want? Verses 7, 8, and 9. What does he want? 7, 8, and 9. He wants the relationship to be healed, to be cleansed, because he feels... Yeah, and then actually, he does want God to judge him. He wants restoration. Yes, good Presbyterian. Awesome. Yeah, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop, yeah, a hyssop is just a bushy plant and the, the priest would dunk it in the water or the sacred water and then he would slosh people, right? And that was the ceremonial cleansing. As baptizo, yep. So yeah, so he wants to be washed clean. He wants, I love this, let me hear joy and gladness. There's not been any joy and gladness. Right, he's been hiding. And so what happens so often when you're hiding your sin and it really bugs you? Right, there's not a lot of joy and gladness. You may fake it until maybe hopefully you make it. I was trying to get really cool with you there. How? But then it doesn't work and then it eats you up from the inside. So return to me, restore to me the joy and gladness. And I love the analogy or the metaphor or the picturesque language in the rest of verse 8. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Yeah, yeah. So just the... Uh, his broken heartedness pictured like broken bones and what do you want? You want your bones set and you want it to heal so you can finally jump again and move again and play volleyball again and soccer, where's Gabe? Soccer, you know, right? Alright, hide your face from my sins. He's not talking about God hiding his face from him but from his sins and blood all my iniquities. He comes back to that whole cleansing picture. Yes? I just said, I was just talking about that. But it's a picturesque language of a broken heart, like broken bones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's been rebuked. I mean, God has actually confronted him, right? And so he is, he is, he realizes how messed up he is and that this breaks, it does break his heart. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, off with his head, yeah. You're the man. Yeah, yeah, it's a great story. It's really funny how we can do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so so the petition is verses seven through nine, but notice it's based on verses ten through twelve and what's 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 he expecting or anticipating can happen from this God of abundant mercy and steadfast love, verse ten through twelve. What could he do? Forgive him? Spiritual renewer, what? Create, create a whole new heart. Create, a, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. 
So there's a motives. Change my motives, right? Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Notice that language here. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I'm just going to say something. If you don't find God's rescuing you and saving you a joyful event, you need to go back to home base and stand in the batter's box all over again. Okay? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Moose? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Especially for your Dallas Cowboys. Oh, wait, sorry. So Ralph Davis goes on to say, um, if you lay hold of the character of God, that's verses 10 through 12, and also verse 1 and 2, if you lay hold of the character of God, it leads you to ask wild things, like wipe out my rebellions. That's the Hebrew for that last line in verse, verse 12. Uh, I mean, in uh, uh, verse 9, and blot out all my iniquities, wipe out my rebellions, right? You can ask those wild things, as he puts it, or bold things, because you're confident of his character, right? So, I'm sorry? You want to sing it for us? <laughs> I'm trying to remember the Keith Green song. Hold on a minute. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah, great. So David's requests in verses 10 through 12 assume what kind of God? What do they assume what kind of God? What kind of a God does verse 10 through 12 assume? Yeah, he's willing to restore, willing to claim, willing to answer. But he, doesn't, he really doesn't want to destroy David and push him out and put him away. That's his confidence, is that you really want me. You, you want us. Yeah? Right. Yeah, yeah, you want to bribe, you have to bribe them for mercy. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting, because when we get down to sacrifices, and keep that in mind, because that's what he's definitely talking about. So, yeah. And able. Willing and able. Yes. Yeah. It's hard to be willing and not able. I want to, you know, I want to, when you, if you're in the hospital and you're, you've got some chronic ailment and I'm there, if I start crying, it's because I'm willing to see you better, but I haven't got anything to make you better. You know what I'm saying? It's really frustrating. So, all right. So this goes back to uh, what Vaughn was referring to. So in First Samuel sixteen verse fourteen, do you have that? Could you read that? 
So is Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 14, maybe what lies behind David's appeal in verse 11? What's he asks in verse 11? Don't throw me out and don't take your Holy Spirit from me, right? So unfortunately, sometimes people with very tender consciences read verse, verse 11 and they're thinking, uh, how, you know, they think of... Um, um, well, obviously David couldn't have been a good Calvinist then because God is not saved anymore. That's not what he's talking about, right? That that, that that does seem to be what he saw happen to Saul. He's praying, dear God, I know that's what I deserve. Don't let that happen to me. Right? Don't take your Holy Spirit from me and then end up, you know, the, your presence and so forth, right? So I think 1 Samuel 16 verse 14 is what lies behind David's words in 5111, okay? So... Uh, any more questions up to this point? Yes. 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 His faithfulness. I mean, God had promised David several things. He's, he's banking on that, right? Banking on who this God is. Yes, John. Yeah. 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 Good. And so how thorough does David want God to be? As you look at verses 10 through 12, and even leading up to verses 10 through 12, how thorough does God, David want God to be in all of this cleansing and remaking and renewing? Huh? Complete, utter, total. Right? Now, what does that tell us about his repentant heart? He, want, he knows, he knows things that not, nobody knows. We, none of us know, but he knows God knows about his heart and about his own motivations and actions, right? He wants God to work on all of it. Right? So what does that tell us about his repentant heart? I think it says a lot about his repentant heart. It's genuine, yeah. Yeah. Right. So what do we often, Steve's already kind of hinted at this earlier, what do we often want when it comes to confessing our sins and such do we actually ask for changes and cleansing this thorough? What do we often want when we confess our sins? We say that, but what do we really want sometimes? Petty. Oh, yeah, that's right. Feel sorry for me, please. Yes, that could be. How about this? Not saying nothing, just saying here, okay? So how often in the depths of our heart do we actually rationalize like Augustine once did? When he was recounting his sexual trysts and exploits, he describes how he used to pray while he was being sexually active. Give me chastity and continency, but not yet. How often when we can confess our sins are we actually saying, yes, I want you to forgive me and change me, but just not yet. I'm having a lot of fun. Just asking, don't answer please. Just ask him. He really wants a thorough cleansing and change. Right? 
So what does, uh, does this have anything to say to us up to this point? Verse 12, all the way 10 to 12, all the rest of that. Does it have anything to say to us up to this point? Yes. Yes. An infinite atonement to really cleanse. What else? Yeah? Yeah? So like in AA and Narcotics Anonymous and others, you know, they talk about uh, hitting rock bottom. When you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right? As you just come to the end of your resources. David came to the end of his resources, right? But there's all kinds of opportunities before you come to the end of your resources. And so, those who maybe aren't involved in alcoholism or narcotics or whatever, you're on the outside, you're the loving family, you're going, what's wrong with you, you knucklehead? You're going you're gonna to destroy yourself, right? And then you want to see them change earlier. So maybe one of the things Psalm 51 uh, leads us is to change now before you have to hit rock bottom. I, I don't know. Steve? Yeah, yeah. 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 It did. And maybe that's something, that, even that's something to carry. Like, um, how often before you have a women's Bible study for Zoom, when you go to the men's Bible study or a leadership class or church or Sunday school, do you pray something like, Lord, may your word impact me like, Nate, like your word did through Nathan to David? You know, what a... Yeah, yeah, right. Great. Yeah, yeah. Yes, not a self-help course. So gratitude, verses 13 through 19. Now look at verse 13. What's the very first word of verse 13? Then. So after all these things he's mentioned in verses 1 through 12, then comes the, uh, next comes the word then in verse 13. So beginning with the then of verse 13, listen to what Derek Kidner writes. Quote, We may note the close connection between joyous faith and an infectious one between experiencing restoration and leading others to that knowledge. Notice the close connection. Then, you do all of this, then, it's not bargaining, he's just stating, then I will actually be able to go out in the joy of this salvation and teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Notice the close connection between what he's driving at here, the cleansing, him actually being drawn in and being renewed, and then being part of, actual, we would say, maybe evangelizing others, right? So, everybody can help me out so you can get warmed up for the sermon today, okay? So, what are the three things we're supposed to do with the gospel? Number one, receive the gospel. Then what? Own the gospel. Then what? Pass on the gospel. Verse, verse 13, kind of that aspect of passing on the gospel, right? Yes, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Whoops. What did I get? Yes. Okay. So as you're looking still at verses 13 through 19, uh, wait, 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 wait. I'll come back to that in a minute. 
So, anything else in verses 13 through 19? There's a few more things we're going to say. Huh? Yes. Very good. So thinking about the, the then of verse 13, I'm going to come back to something Moose said in a minute. I think about the old hymn. And one of you said to me the other day, this brought you back to your childhood memories, right? I love to tell the story, tis pleasant to repeat. What seems each time I tell it, more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story, for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. I love to tell the story, twill be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love. Hopefully whenever you run across verse 13, you think about that hymn and go, oh yeah, I love to tell the story. There's people who need to hear it. Then transgressors will turn around and so forth. Right? So, um, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, the brokenheartedness and contrite, yes. Very good. So, uh, so how does gratitude shape up in verses 13 through 17? Fred's already starting to move in that direction with that. Uh, not only we want, we want to pass it on, but also um, notice the vocal and noisiness of it. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. And so then coming back, oh Lord, open my lips to... Um, and my mouth will declare your praise. I mean, think about Sunday morning worship. It's not just a formality. It should be us coming in going, the Lord has blessed us. The Lord has forgiven us. Woo! And we sing His praises, right? And then, of course, what Fred was talking about, the, the brokenheartedness and contrition, so forth. So the gratitude, notice the gratitude breaks out in evangelizing. The gratitude breaks out in worship. Um... The, the gratitude breaks out in, um, uh, you know, um, this, the recognition that I need to be fully motivated in this in some way, right? So that broken, contrite heart. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So verse 17, uh, verse uh, 16 and 17, you will not delight in sacrifice or else I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Does anybody understand why? Why is David saying that? You've got to think about, first off, think about the sins and think about his position as king. 
what specifically the sins why would he have to say the why would he be saying those words in reference to the sin of murder for example even though it was secondhand or whatever he conspired against Uriah and got Joab to do it for him he still was if he had been tried he'd have been convicted for for murder why would verse 7 16 specifically fit the situation anybody know there's no sacrifice for murder. You murder, you're put to death. There's no atoning sacrifice per se. And that's part of what he's driving at. You will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. Right? You will, be pleased, uh, you will not be pleased with burnt offering. I can't cover this up. You did not even make an opening in Leviticus for murder when it comes to this. Right? There was no way to ransom myself. I deserve What's about to happen, remember what Nathan told him later, that his kingdom is going to be in turmoil, his son's going to throw him out, and all these other things. I deserve all that, is really what he's honestly saying. There's no remedy other than you simply, sheerly being merciful. Right? And the reason why I point this out, because sometimes we look at verse 16 and 17, we say, oh, God, uh, the true believer doesn't care about sacrifices. Well, then why do you come to verse 19? Notice the result of David's repentance is going to be global in the church. And then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings where the bulls will be offered on your altar. God wants those things under the Old Covenant. He still wants sacrifices in the New Testament. What sacrifices does He want in the New Testament? Anybody remember? Huh? Yeah, okay. Contrite heart. What else? Praise. Hebrews chapter 13, offering the sacrifice of praise. Romans 12, anybody? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Paul talks about his apostolic ministry as a drink offering that he pours out upon the sacrifice of the faith of the Philippians. Right? Our whole Christian life is, an, is a, a sacrifice. Right? And so, the, the point I'm trying to get across is don't take verse 16 and 17 too far. It has a specific context. God still wants David to be involved in corporate public worship and doing the liturgical things that God has set up and established. But David recognizes those things will not cover his sin. Does that make sense? What you do Sunday morning is not going to cover your sin. And there are some people who walk in the church door and think, that it covers their sin. No, only Jesus does. Repent and believe the gospel. But what you do Sunday morning is part of your gratitude. Because you have received me and cleansed me and washed me clean. Because you have given me a new heart. Because you have begun changing my life. I offer up myself to you in this whole service as a sacrifice of praise. Does that make sense? Sometimes we put the cart before the horse and it should be the other way around. It doesn't cover our sins, but it's what forgiven sinners want to do. Yes? Yes. Yes, right. I used to have a parishioner in a previous church 
So as a hospice chaplain, I had to go to a ton of funerals. And I always used to come back to and just say, wow, it was amazing. Jesus wasn't even invited, you know, I mean, all the way through, almost all the funerals. And then I had a prisoner. She was in her 70s. And she would go to the funerals of, all, of her friends. There were a lot of those. She was in her late 70s. And she would call me on the phone immediately afterwards. I knew it was coming. She'd tell me Sunday, I have a funeral to go to this week. Okay. And so I knew she was going to call me after the funeral. She'd call me on the phone. She would tell me how it was always how wonderful they were. And she goes, he wasn't that wonderful. He needed Jesus. Right? And then she would say these magic words. And pastor, if you ever do my funeral that way, I'm coming out of the casket and I'm taking you with me. Yes. But I find it interesting that when you go through funerals, how often it's like they really didn't need Jesus. They were pretty good people to begin with. Jesus should have been glad that they were on his team. Right? And I, we just get it messed up. So we're going to have life celebration services instead of funerals. We're going to have... Right? Okay. So how big and broad and bold, looking especially at verse 18 and 19, how big and broad and bold does the king's repentance and restoration want to go? The whole, the whole kingdom. He wants the whole church to be impacted by what he's done in a positive way to where they enter into it themselves, right? So do good to Zion and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you, will you delight in right sacrifices, burnt offerings, whole burnt offerings. Bulls will be offered on your altar. He wants the... He wants the, the the broadness of his own repentance and restoration to actually impact God's people all across the board, right? And that's what we, I think we forget. We almost always think about ourselves, which is maybe one of the things we need to repent of often, right? And David still has the kingdom in mind. And when we think about our own repentance and confession of sin, recognizing our sin impacts everybody in the church. And our repentance can do the same. Fred. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And especially if you take verse 18 to 19... And remember what God promises through Nathan. Yes, your sins are forgiven, but the kingdom is going to be a train wreck for a while. Then you realize he, the, the consequences of his sin, even though he's forgiven, the consequences are still there and it impacts lots of other people. He's actually already, as a priest, in a priestly way, praying for them as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I appreciate the, I mean, I... It's an interesting scene where he is leaving the city. And I can't remember the fellow's name, but he's a Benjamite. And he is cussing David out and throwing things at David. Get out, get out, you deserve to die. And Joab and the others want to kill the fellow. And David says, no, maybe the Lord will actually hear what he's saying and show some kindness to me, right? And I'm going, I wouldn't have done that. I just said, get him, Joab. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, now I forgot. It was a brilliant moment. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's what I was saying about Augustine. Yes. So that was repent of our repentance. That's where I, what was in my head. I should have alliterated or come up with a really classy, snazzy statement from, from Hal Schaffer. Yes. So take 13 through 19 together. And if you want to, take the whole psalm together and ask the question, does this have anything to say to us? Now, you may think that's a silly question to ask. The problem is in Bible study is that we often move through really quickly, get all the details, and then we forget, oh, this is actually supposed to impact my life. That's what the question is about. Does this have anything to say to us? Alan. The cart before the horse. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, trying to cover it up. Yeah. That'll almost preach. You're going to get there. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, so it's one of the things we said at the beginning is that it's interesting that the covenant name is not used anywhere in the psalm, and so there it's Adonai. So one time he uses Adonai, which is master or sovereign. He's just owning the fact you are the king, not me, right? But that is, that is really interesting when he does that, and all the way through it's just, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh Lord, oh God, oh God, oh God. But Yahweh is never used in there. So, Yes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Great. All right, so I'm going to end with this. Um, this is Tim and Kathy Keller put together a little devotional guide called the Songs of Jesus, I believe it was. And uh, the Casins gave me this years ago, and Anna and I read through it. And so this was on Psalm 51, verses 17 and following. And I love this, and I thought I'd end with this, and then we'll end with the prayer they wrote too. The eloquence of brokenness. What is the broken and contrite heart God wants so much? Verse 17. It is a heart that knows how little it deserves yet how much it has received. 
To know only the first truth, how little we deserve, is to be self-loathing. To know only the second, how much we received, is to be self-satisfied. And both kinds of hearts will be self-absorbed. David is talking instead about hearts broken by costly free grace, knowing both how lost and how loved we are. This gets us out of ourselves. That is an important statement right there. This gets us out of ourselves, freeing, freeing us from the need to be constantly looking at ourselves. When our lips are open, we do not speak of ourselves, but of God's praise. That was a great little summary statement. So let's pray. I'm going to use this prayer right here. Lord, create in us true brokenness not the counterfeit ones of discouragement, bitterness, or despair. Let us know liberation from always needing to defend ourselves, always standing on our dignity, always smarting because we've been snubbed. Give us the quiet peace of a broken spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.